in the early 90s after the Berlin Wall came down and the Iron Curtain fell across Eastern Europe and religious freedom began to be exercised, uh, a rabbi named Jonathan Burness began to do outreaches into that part of the world and host Jewish festivals. And during that season, thousands of Jewish people became believers in Yeshua as their Messiah. And in the wake of that, there became a great need for Bible training and uh, training up of leaders for the planning of congregations that would focus on meeting that ethnicity of people. And during that season, a man and his wife were recruited to go to Odessa, Ukraine and plant the first Messianic Jewish Bible Institute, now known as the MJBI. They were serving as elders at Shady Grove Church, uh, our mother church, and we were good friends of theirs already. I've known this man since 1987. And we are thrilled to have them here with us today. So coming to you from around the world <laughs> is Dr. Wayne Wilkes to bring us the word. Thank you. Thank you so much. You all are so precious, and we feel so honored to be in relationship with you, to witness your beginnings, to see what the Lord has done. Jake, I so love that worship this morning, and just uh, you, you all do things with such excellence and such a spirit of humility. And Alan and Yvette, we love you so much. I mean, we've walked together many years. Do y'all know that Yvette is Jewish? Did you know that? Yvette is a Rhodesian Jew. Now, Rhodesia is now Zimbabwe. And we are working in her hometown. I'll be there in July. <laughs> and uh, the Limba are a uh, tribe that um, they... They have a very strong oral history, and they say very quickly that uh, we were the ones that Ezra excommunicated when he came back from the captivity. We married Moabite women. He said, give them up or get out. They got out. They went to Yemen, went to Ethiopia, went down and to, to Zimbabwe, Mozambique area. There's estimates between 300,000, 400,000 of them, and uh, the main... Tribal leaders uh, have accepted the Lord. When we had our first MJBI class, uh, the headman and the main chief uh, got you know prayed to receive the Lord. Of course, you know Jewish voice opened that door, and and uh, it's very exciting to see. And so now they want to. Uh, they're very pure. pure. Uh, actually, Israelis did a DNA study on the Limba, and. Uh, that the black Jews of Africa, um, that there's in Ethiopia, we have four schools in Ethiopia, but in the Limba, they have maintained very strict cultural traditions and they refuse, interestingly, to intermarry after they say in their own oral, oral history that we were excommunicated and uh, they have very uh, strong... Um, separatist views on we will not intermarry. If somebody marries outside of the limba, they're basically excommunicated from being a limba. So they, um, so someone from Israel came and did a DNA study and they tested the blood of Ashkenazi 
which are the more white European Jews, and uh, the, the Sephardic Jews, which are more the Spanish, the darker Middle Eastern Jews, probably Jesus was obviously much more darker than the Ashkenazi Jew. And then the uh, Limba, and they, the, they discovered that the Limba are the purest of all of them. <laughs> and, you know, of course, Ashkenazi, you know, they wouldn't like that if they knew that. Uh, because they're sort of the, you know, the, the uh, you know, there's, as in any culture, you know, there's different issues they have with discrimination. But I tell you, the Limba, uh, and they have a very strong Kohanim, uh, priestly gene in their DNA. And so this is, I mean, you Google, you go to Wikipedia and you just look at the Limba. I mean, it's, it's a known fact. So as soon as Jonathan did the outreach... I mean, the headmen, the, the, the leaders of the Limba tribe, they're very tribal mentality. So if the chief and the tribal leaders say, we're going this way, they're going that way. And so the Orthodox Jews from South Africa came up, from Israel, said, don't go Messianic. They said, no, we, we, we are Messianic Jews and we want Jewish boys. And now with MJBI to plant Messianic synagogues, they call them, all over among the Limba. <laughs> it's quite an amazing thing that the Lord is doing. In our day, but that's in your, your home country. Praise the Lord. Well, as Alan mentioned, my wife and myself, Bonnie, my beautiful wife of 30 plus years here, Bonnie and I used to come down in the very early days of, of Shady Grove Church, Granbury, and we would uh, share and fellowship, and then Alan and Yvette were set apart to lead this work. And so we feel very privileged that we were involved in the very beginnings with you. Alan asked me to preach, continuing on this series on something related to the Jewishness of Jesus, the beginnings, the uh, you know from the book of John. And so I've titled my message today: "Jesus is the beginning." Jesus is the beginning. Now, the Apostle John is normally thought of as the Apostle of the last things. His Gospel is the last of the four Gospels. He was the last Apostle to live. He was the one who had the revelation, the last book of the Bible. So John many times is associated with last things. But John is also concerned about our beginnings. 21 of the 56 uses in the New Testament of the Greek word beginning are written by the Apostle John in his writings. So John deals with the last things, but he also takes us back to that which was in the beginning. <laughs> Revelation 21.6 and 22.13, John in his revelation said he is the what? The Alpha and the Omega, that's the, the first and the last in the Greek alphabet, he is the beginning and the end. So that which was in the beginning points to God's purposes in the end, and that which is in the end reminds us of God's heart in the beginning. So I feel the Holy Spirit has something to say to us today, not only about last things, but about our beginnings. So first, as we consider Jesus in the beginning, I want to, uh, my first point is Jesus was with God in the beginning. Turn to John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Jesus was in the beginning with God. 
In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, if Jesus was in the beginning with God, then He is God. If Jesus was in the beginning with God, then He was not created. And if you go to India today, you know, I think it would be a very, you know, I was talking to Greg and Marietta. We've just been so blessed to be in their home. They have these beautiful Angus beef, you know, but in in India, you know, I guess if you're a cow, you can feel pretty confident. Think think about it. (laughs) You ever thought about that? Nobody's going to be killing you because that could be a God. You know, that could be my ancestor. That could be, well, there's all these gods, you know, all over the world. But if Jesus was in the beginning with God, then he trumps all those. And he is also the one perfectly prepared to be a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was in the beginning with God. John also says three things about Satan's beginning. And Satan was not in the beginning with God. Satan was a created being. John 8:44 He was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. 1 John 3:8 For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. So Satan's character in the very beginning is that he's a murderer, he's a liar, he's a sinner. But Jesus was in the beginning with God. Second, Jesus was in the beginning with his disciples. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. 1 John 1, 1 and 2, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. As John speaks about these beginnings, we sense that he was very close to the Lord, that the disciples were very close to the Lord. It says we touched him, we felt him, we beheld him, we saw him. It reminds us of Thomas in John 20, verse 27, when Jesus said, put your finger here, see my hands. Put your hand here and feel my side. You sense in John's uh, revelation of Jesus, his beginnings with Jesus, that it was more than just some kind of casual relationship. It wasn't simply physical. There was something deep that the disciples had with the Lord that was deeply impacting their lives and their futures. They spent three and a half years with Him. They saw His life bring healing to so many. They had all sinned. They had all been restored. Peter denied Him. The the disciples fled from Him. I'm so grateful when I read those things, not to condemn them, but just it gives me hope because I know that His life, His healing has restored me, has healed me. I mean, can you... Can everybody witness with that? Can everybody identify with the restoration, the healing that Jesus is life? These these beginnings were very dear to the disciples. 
when they chose a replacement for Judas, it was very important that they choose someone that was with him from the beginning. That knew him, that experienced his life. Now, some of you may not know, but Jesus was Jewish. Did you, did you realize that? And that was the title Alan originally said, you want to call it, you know, preach on Jesus is Jewish. And I asked him if I could call it Jesus is the beginning. Now, I can prove very quickly, very short sermon, that Jesus is Jewish. Number one, he grew up in the family business. He learned carpentry, the business of his father. Number two, he lived at home until he was 30. And number three, his mother thought he was God. In Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. At the Last Supper, Jesus really instituted this new covenant. When he took the bread and he said, This is my body. And he took the cup and said, This is the blood of the covenant, of the new covenant. They knew very clearly he was referring to Jeremiah 31, 31. A day that Jeremiah said would come when there would be a new covenant with what? The house of Israel. The twelve disciples were representative of the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 28, to the twelve disciples, in the time of regeneration, you will sit on the twelve thrones and you will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. Now in Israel, the head of the tribe was often the judge. It was very clear there was something being instituted in the new covenant with the disciples at the Last Supper this was a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. But this did not at this time include the nations. This was only about Israel. This was about the Jewish people. These early Jewish disciples were very close to him. But Jesus third was also in the beginning with the church. He was in the beginning with the church. Now we're living in a day when many people are moving away from our beginnings. Churches are struggling with, should we have a gay pastor? Should we, you know, have, uh, is, is the virgin birth really real? Is Jesus' uh, resurrection literal? Some are struggling with the basics and the beginnings of our faith. And uh, when we look at the early church, when we look at the model that was in Jerusalem, we see that their beginnings were very dear to them because it was on this group that was near to him that the Holy Spirit was poured out. It was upon this group uh, that where there was tremendous suffering, where there was tremendous difficulty, that there was great glory being manifest. Uh, Alan asked me about our fellow uh, brother in Ukraine, Valentin and Tatiana. Please pray for them because... There is concern, you know, with Big Brother Russia breathing down their neck and not knowing what the future holds because they have a, they have a memory of the past. They remember the, the former days. Well, on the day of Pentecost, Hebrews Shavuot, the Jews had to come up and celebrate uh, the feast three times a year. And uh, Pentecost is the birth of the church. Shavuot, this one of the three major feasts, is the birth of the church. Now, in Jewish tradition, interestingly, Shavuot is also, this is written in the Jerusalem Talmud, and this is the, what the rabbis teach, David was born on Pentecost, Shavuot, and he died on Pentecost, Shavuot. 
So if you go to Israel, if you go to Jerusalem, my hobby, my passion is biblical geography. And I have the privilege to go there quite a bit and we live there for a time. But as you, you, it's, it's very clear that David was not buried there originally because there's an area where the kings were buried. And it's probably about a half a mile as the crows flies. But somehow the tomb of David had been moved. And it had gone up the hill to what is now called Mount Zion. And that was the most holy place in Judaism. And in Peter's day, in the apostles' day, that's where the tomb of David was located. Whether his body was moved or what happened, whatever, that was the place where David uh, was venerated. And that was the most holy place until the Western Wall uh, became, ava- you know, became available in uh, the Six-Day War. So, so the upper room is right by David's tomb. Right above it. And you go there, you go see the upper room, and then you go up and you see David, you know, and you see the Orthodox. So you have Christians down there celebrating the upper room where the Holy Spirit was poured out, where Peter preached this sermon, and then you have uh, people right above you in David's tomb praying and venerating the memory of King David. And so it gives you significance when you now see Peter preaching. And he's constantly, no doubt, looking at the tomb of David as he's preaching this message. And he said, David is not with us anymore. His tomb is here. You remember he said that? His tomb is here in Acts. Peter quotes Psalm 16 where it says, I will not let my Holy One see corruption. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and 3,000 were added that day. The church was born on Shavuot, on Pentecost. Now, they knew, the Jewish people knew, what uh, the early believers knew, excuse me, that Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So when a persecution came in Jerusalem, they were scattered. And they began to go everywhere preaching the gospel. Philip went... They first went to Judea, then they went to Samaria to preach to the half-breeds. There in Samaria, those that were half part, you know, had part Jew, Jewish background, but their religion was a little mixed. They preached the gospel to them. Peter and John went and laid their hands on them. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And now fast forward, and now Peter finds himself in the port city of Joppa. Now, Joppa, as it is in English, Joppa in Hebrew is the port to the nations. Now, this city is significant because it was in Joppa that Jonah tried to flee from God when he was called to go and preach to the Ninevites in Assyria, which is in current day Iraq. And so he went and preached and the whole town, a huge people group, completely gave their lives over to trusting in the God of of Israel. And Jonah sat on the hill and he pouted about it because these were the enemies of Israel. But they were completely, to use Christian terminology, saved. They completely repented. And there was, uh, there's tradition through the history of their fear of the God of Israel. Even when you see Sennacherib and the Assyrians come in, there was mixture, there was understanding of God, the God of Israel and an honoring of the God of Israel from Jonah's preaching. Well, Thomas, on his way to India, he stops by Nineveh, 
He preaches the gospel and all Nineveh is saved. So it's very significant now that Peter is in this town, this gateway to the city, the city where Jonah went reluctantly. But all of these non-Jews were saved. Now, Peter waiting for this sign. I mean, the, the apostles knowing that they were eventually going to go to the nations, but they, it's not automatic. They, they need a sign from heaven. They need something from God to show them clearly how are the nations to be included. And he has this vision that repeats itself three times with a sheet coming down and all these unclean animals. And God's saying, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And he said, Lord, I've never had anything unclean. And he goes on to explain later, God wasn't telling him to have a pork sandwich. God was saying, what I have called clean, don't declare unclean. Talking about the nations. They knew that the nations were now open. From Jaffa, just like Jonah did, the nations are now open. Don't be reluctant to go because I will visit the nations. So, as the Gentiles began to get saved, it created tensions within Messianic uh, Israel. What do we do with these Gentiles who are getting saved? So the apostles convene in Acts chapter 15. They all come together and they discover in their search of the scriptures, Amos chapter 9, where it says that there is going to be a restoration of a fallen tabernacle of David. And there will be the bringing in of Gentiles who are called by my name. In Acts 15 verses 16 through 18, I will return and will rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, these things known from long ago. God had this in mind from the beginning. Therefore, it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. But we tell them only four laws. Abstain from food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So, that they, so they understood clearly God is restoring the tabernacle of David. It's a big tent. De- Jesus, Yeshua, His name in Hebrew is sitting on the throne of David in this tent, and now the nations will be gathered in and will be a part of the new covenant. The covenant that he cut with us on the Last Supper that are now available to all the Jewish people, he now is including all the Gentiles in. Well, this picture is repeated in the New Testament in Romans 11. We see a cultivated olive tree that represents Messianic Israel. It was planted by Abraham. It was followed by those who through the generations had a messianic hope. Paul, speaking to the Gentiles, said, don't be arrogant toward these natural branches. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was happy. He rejoiced in my day. Abraham had some encounters with Jesus. He knew the Messiah was coming. David, all through the Psalms, talks about the Messiah. David was messianic. He had this messianic hope. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was messianic. The prophets, Moses spoke of the day when the Messiah, Jesus, the one from the beginning who would come in the flesh. So there was this hope in messianic Israel that was a part of this cultivated olive tree. And Israel continued to grow as this olive tree. 
and in Simeon were a part of Messianic Israel. They were waiting at the temple for the hope for the Messiah. So into this believing Messianic Israel, the nations have now been grafted. Paul speaks to the nations in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, when he says, Therefore, remember that you Gentiles were without Christ. You were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope and were without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the way the early church saw it. This is the way the early church understood it. This was the apostolic perspective. Now, if you're a part of a family tree, you take on the identity of that tree. Now, I was doing some reading on the beginnings of Granberry, and I told the first service, you know, I saw that General Granberry, a Confederate general, he was born to a Baptist minister. His name was spelled G-R-A-N-B-E-R-R-Y. He went to Baylor, 21 years old, and he changed it to G-R-A-N-B-U-R-Y. So you owe your, some, some maybe higher education does something to you, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, he was killed in the Battle of Franklin, Tennessee at 33 years old. He and six other generals were killed. And one of those generals who was killed was General Patrick Cleburne, your neighbor. And their commanding officer who was not killed was General Hood, who your county is named after. But I also heard that Davy Crockett's widow, his second wife, first wife died, second wife, one of the heroes of the Alamo, that Davy Crockett's wife settled here and they offered many land grants in this area to widows and others who had lost their husbands at the Alamo. Do you know this? Have you seen Davy Crockett's wife's grave at Acton State Park? I have not. I want to see it. It's the smallest state park in the state of Texas I read. Do you know that? That's pretty cool. Anyway, these are part of the beginnings of Granberry, and as with all of our family trees, we've got some bad history, we've got some good history. And I mean, even some of these people that we've talked about, you know, I also know John Wilkes Booth, they say was came here, and Jesse James, it seems to be hard to believe, but I know there's some talk of that. So in any beginnings, in any family tree, there are things that we're proud of and there are things that we're ashamed of. But regardless, we take on the identity of the family tree. I was looking at one of my family trees and I found out I was, I was, um, I'm a direct descendant of Richard the Lionheart, who was a crusader. Now, before you get so impressed, I, I got to figure it out. There are about 300,000 of those around the earth or so, you know, so it's not like they're just two or three of us, you know. But when I saw that, now he had, you know, even though. Many in Christian history talk about the Crusades. Well, I'm a Jewish minister. Crusades are not good news. You don't want to invite your Jewish friend to a crusade, you know, because they went around killing Muslims. They went around killing Jews, you know. And, uh, but when you find out people in your family tree, you do sort of take on a look. You go, wow, that's kind of interesting. You know, maybe there's some redemption 
you know, in my life, or there was something, you know, that he wouldn't have ever lived, I would have never even been here. But the same thing is with this cultivated olive tree that we have been grafted into. All are different branches. All are different nations. They're grafted into the same tree. But this is a key to understanding the way to unity. It's God's way and there's no other way. Romans 11, 17 and 18 says, If the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, don't boast against the branches. But if you do, remember that you don't support or nourish the root, but the root supports you. Healing happens when we connect to the nourishing root. If we're separated away from the nourishment of the root, we will not be healthy. We'll be missing some of the nourishing sap that God intended. Sadly, events occurred in Jewish and church history that began to separate us from our root with Messianic Israel, from our beginnings, from the olive tree. The first stage was when the Senate of Rabbis at Yavne in 90 AD, you remember Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, the Sanhedrin reconvened in Yavne, which is in current day Israel. And in 90 AD, they made the decision to excommunicate all Jewish believers in Jesus from the synagogue. Now, they didn't have authority over all the synagogues, but their decision had great weight, and it began to trickle out. And even today, that decision, that separation from Messianic Israel, is still very strongly in the minds of the Jewish people. God is bringing many Jewish people to the Lord. But there are still many, many who from that decision, that separation with Messianic Israel, have a very strong bias. I mentioned in the first service our banquet where we had the privilege to have President Bush with us. And that created such a firestorm in the Jewish community. Why would President Bush, they say, go to such a marginal group, such a group that that their whole purpose is to bring Jesus back by converting Jews. Of course, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, bias in... But it was, you know, I mean, he, Bill Maher, I don't watch Bill Maher, I don't have HBO, but Bill Maher, somebody sent me the clip. He says, let me tell you about this. Messianic Jew, President Bush is going to a fundraiser for Messianic Jewish Bible Institute. He says, let me read from these people's website. And he read and he said... Blindness in part has happened until all is... He just read the Bible. And most of the crowd started laughing. And I thought... And I, and I like... I thought, man, Bill Maher, he's Jewish, you know. I thought, man, he's going to make a great... Believe. When, when God knocks him off his horse, he'll be just like Paul. <laughs> the Lord do it. But all these people were making such a firestorm. Why? Because it goes back to this decision that was made in Yavne. Well... The Jewish believers remain full members of the larger community of believers in Jesus, the church. But as the church began to grow, and the church became primarily in numbers much larger as Gentile believers, Jewish believers were marginalized between the 2nd and 4th centuries, and eventually, in the 4th century, through legislation, 
Jewish believers were commanded to cease all Jewish practice and to renounce Jewish identity, forgetting the kindness of the Jewish leaders that extended them in Acts chapter 15. Well, this was the first break. This was the first split. First split in the church wasn't between the Catholics and the Byzantine church. It wasn't between the Catholics and the Protestants. It was the break with Messianic Israel. And since that time, sadly, there has been one break after another. If you will, this was the first wound of the church. And I contend that as this wound is healed, so other wounds will begin to be miraculously healed. So the church of the nations developed. Jerusalem was destroyed. Hadrian, you remember he hated the Jewish people. He, named, he, he, he tried to change the name of Jerusalem to Aelia Capitolina and change the name of the land to Israel's arch enemy, the Philistines, and called it Palestine, trying to eradicate any memory of the Jewish people. So the church began to think, well, God really has finished with the Jews. We maybe are the new Israel. So the church continued to develop, but what did I say? What did I say? Oh boy, sorry. Whatever. The, yeah, the, the, I, that, I didn't mean to call the church church, sorry. The church developed, I love the church, but also endless divisions. The one new man model of unity in Ephesians was replaced by the universal model of a church of the nations held together by councils. We've seen many attempts at ecumenism to find a way to unity. But none have worked. Why? Because we have forgotten the tabernacle of David. We've forgotten the cultivated olive tree. Every teaching that asserts the end of God's covenant with Israel. And every teaching that separates Jesus from his own people is inherently divisive. It makes the new order dependent on God's breaking his covenant commitment to Israel. Such a position undermines the stability of the new covenant order and makes it subject to a spirit of judgmentalism. As new claimants to be the authentic church replace those judged to have been rebellious and apostate. God wants us to give us a vision of restoring the model, the original model, the model from the beginning of unity of the believers. The acknowledgement of the Jewish root does not mean that Gentiles have to become Jewish. That we have to be Jewish wannabes. That we need to follow Jewish customs. Acts 15 made that very clear. The Jerusalem Council made that very clear. The image of engrafting means that the Gentile branches receive nourishment from the natural olive tree of Israel fully embodied in Jesus. But they do not lose their identity as ethnoi, nations. As the bring, they bring the riches of their culture, the riches of their nations into the holy city. John writes in Revelation 21, 26. True unity cannot separate love and truth. We must seek to love, respect, and honor everything that is the work of the Holy Spirit in each church that confesses Jesus as the only Son of God, the only Savior of the world, and the only mediator between God and man. 
Our vision is for the recovery of the unity of the one cultivated olive tree into which Gentile believers are grafted in Romans 11. Our vision is for the unity of the one new man out of the two. Ephesians 2, 15. This is described as the mystery of Christ in Ephesians 3, 4. And our vision is Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 that they may all be one. So I want you to be encouraged today. Because even though there is turmoil, there's suffering, there's difficulty in the world, there's some things that seem dark and are dark. Satan from the beginning is doing all he can to get people away from Jesus as the beginning. But God is restoring Israel. God is restoring the church. God is breaking down the middle wall of partition. God is doing this in churches and confessions around the world. I have seen this and had the privilege to witness this. And as these groups acknowledge this Jewish root, and as these groups reconnect to the nourishing sap of Messianic Israel, it's bringing revival, it's bringing life to their confessions, to their streams, to their churches, to their bodies. Because what was broken is beginning to be fixed. It began in Jerusalem. It's going to end in Jerusalem. It's going back to Jerusalem. We went out from Jerusalem. We're going back to Jerusalem. Jesus is the beginning. He's also the end. But He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with the early disciples. He was in the beginning with the church. He was in the beginning with you. And He will be with you to the end. Father, I want to thank You for Your marvelous plan. I want to thank You, Lord, that Jesus, who was with You from the beginning, who has been with us from the beginning, who has been with the Jewish people from the beginning, who has been with us all through our junk, through our good times, through our bad times. Lord, You're restoring this olive tree. You're restoring the tabernacle of David. Lord, we want to bring our riches before the throne someday. We want to pour it at the feet of Jesus. We want to thank You, Lord, for Your marvelous plan, Jew and Gentile, together for all eternity. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you so much. We're going somewhere, and it's not just to heaven, but it's the church becoming one so that the world will know God sent Jesus. Let's stand. Lord, we thank you for the word that we received. May it bear fruit in each of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing with all ethnicities. Pray, Lord, that we would not miss out on our part to play in that. Thank you, Lord, for the MJBIs. Lord, they were the first 
foreign missions effort that we began to support on a monthly basis as a congregation. Thank you, Lord, for what they're doing, for what Wayne and Bonnie are doing. Lord, we pray that you would bless them in every way. Now, Lord, as your word says, we bless your people. May the Lord bless them and keep them. Lord, may you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, may you lift up your countenance upon all my brothers and sisters here today. And give them your peace, your shalom peace, your wholeness, your peace that is flowing from your victory. Thank you, Lord for the overcoming power that is ours to walk in. We pray, Lord, for your blessings. Lord, that we would be bold to, be, to do our part in the earth as a congregation and as individuals. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for this revelation that we receive. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace and do the will of God. Go get it. Straight.